Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. Um, that, uh, that expresses itself in, uh, in that way. Where, do you have a short fuse? Are you just quicker to be irritable or to think unkindly of someone else or to speak quickly? That's a sign of the anxiety that's working within us. Other things we do, hurting. We find, we find the, only the people who articulate the problems and the solutions in the world in the same way that we do, and we stay insulated with them, and we expel anybody else. We, we blame. We blame others. That red blames blue, and blue blames red, and we find a cause of any sort, and we've got to find who's at fault in it, and we've got to rage over it. Right? We're blaming. Or escapism. I just don't want to deal with any of this stuff. And I just want to binge watch Netflix. Or play video games. Or scroll endlessly through social media. Or even take vacation. Or escape chemically through drugs and alcohol. In, in our anxiety, we react with isolation, where we remove ourselves from a our community, from church, from society, from, from family. We, we isolate ourselves, where we just go, I can't handle it, there's too much going on, and so if I just am by myself, then I don't have to deal with any of that. We also, in anxiety, respond with hoarding. We, we get stuff. You, we buy lots of toilet paper. For some reason, I'm not exactly sure how that is what brings us comfort, but that is what we hoard, right? We buy lots of toilet paper or you're hoarding information. You're constantly on the news. You're constantly getting notifications on your phone because you've got to know everything that's happening in the world at any moment so you can be prepared for it. We are an anxious people. Anxiety and worry and fear affect all of us, but none of these solutions I mentioned work. Like nobody said, I was really anxious, but now I've got enough toilet paper, so I'm really feeling good now. <laughs> like It just doesn't work. No one has said, I've removed everyone from my life. I live in isolation, and therefore I'm feeling great. None of these solutions work. So, so what do we do? Well, this is not a sermon on how to reduce your anxiety in 10 easy steps. Our pursuit as Christians is to strive to see the world through God's eyes, to understand reality itself through a biblical lens. And this change in perspective does not simply give us inspirational bullet points. It completely reframes our understanding both of what the problems really are and how we face them in the way that brings about health and flourishing. Look, the first Christians had just as many things to worry about as we do. Death, sickness, wars, conflict, Famines, finances, pandemics, they had them all, just like we do. And the words of the scripture that speak to them speak to us in the same way. Our anxiety is not new, friends. Our worry is not new. It has been here since Genesis chapter 3 and the, and the coming of sin into the world. Every person in every culture throughout all of time has experienced this. And so our God is not unaware of the issues of our worry and anxiety. 
And he speaks into them over and over and over again in the scripture. He tells us, do not fear, do not worry, do not be anxious about anything. But frankly, that is easier said than done. Like, you know, just read where it says, do not be anxious about anything. And then you go, oh, okay, I guess I'll stop that. Right? This is more than behavior management that we need to deal with the epidemic or even the, the pandemic that is anxiety. So let's jump into the text to examine the biblical and godly perspective on how we stand as Christians in a chaotic and feel fearful world. And if you are not a Christian in this room today, as I speak with these words and I talk about the Christian worldview of this, I want, to see, I want you to see what you are invited into through Christ. Okay? I want you to see how if you're not inside, if these words, when I say Christians do this, uh, and you do not call yourself a Christian, I am, I'm calling with you, pleading with you to know this life that you're being called to through faith in Jesus Christ and entrance into his church. So if you are not a Christian, these words apply to you, but these words are an invitation. So in our chapter from Ephesians today, it's written by a guy named Paul, and he has just finished giving a comprehensive teaching on the, on the life of a Christian. Beginning with our salvation in Christ, he discusses the nature of the church and the mission of the church and how people of the church should live with one another. All the way from angels and demons, he talks about, to husbands and wives and children. It's all in here in, uh, in Ephesians. And then he concludes with, with this very well-known passage about the armor of God. And so the context, what we're talking about here is, is Paul has just said, as you're living as the church, as in a people as Christ, here's our posture in the world. So we start at verse 10 and he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. A command in the scripture, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. This is the first and most significant difference in how Christians face fear, anxiety, struggle, sickness, persecution, even death. This is the first and major difference, is that the strength we need to endure in these kind of chaotic times is not sourced from within ourselves, but from God. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. So much of our culture today is telling you that you have to have the strength in your own heart if you will only believe in yourself. And all the problems that we have are issues of self-esteem or a lack of self-belief. And that pressure is killing us. It is saying, if you just believe in yourself, you can do it. When the scripture is telling us, no, what we really have to believe in is God. We can't do this ourselves. No matter how much you believe in yourself. It is one of the great lies of our culture that says you can do anything you want to do as long as you put your heart and mind to it. Think that and then jump off the roof and see how it works. The command of the Scripture, the lens of the Scripture says it is God that we must turn to for our solutions, not some secret life within. That our strength is given to us. Be strong in the Lord. We even tend to take verses from the Bible that talk about strength in God and make them about us. We love Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we think that that verse is an inspirational verse of I can do anything and Jesus is going to help me. That's not what that verse says at all. But that verse is not saying that you have the strength to do what you need to do. 
It is saying you must be dependent upon Jesus for the strength to do what you need to do. That verse is much more primarily about Jesus than it is about us. But we turn it towards us. And the problem with this is that we're, we're wilting under the pressure of this. And we feel like I'm not strong enough. I am worrying. And so there must be something wrong with me if I should be strong enough to do all of these things, to, to bear up underneath these times. And then we start to feel anxious that there's something wrong with us because we can't do it. But we're looking for strength in the wrong place. Now, finding strength in God does not mean that we throw off all caution and start bungee jumping and stop wearing seatbelts. Like, that's not, that's not what finding strength outside of us means. God gives us wisdom to avoid some danger, and He made our bodies able to be healed through medicine, so we can still look to wisdom and we can look to medicine and things like that to be able to help us. Actually, the implications of being strong in the Lord are much deeper than any of those kind of thoughts. Something much more difficult, actually. Hear this. To be strong in the Lord, we have to give up striving for the illusion of control. To be strong in the Lord means that you do not have control anymore. And that you actually really never did. And actually striving to think you have control is really what's put you in this issue to begin with whether through our intellect or our wealth or aggression or technology, we try to control both life and death. And our efforts lead us to the realization that we are not strong enough to control anything. And our endeavor to control actually only results in more anxiety when we re realize how fruitless our efforts are. Look, new parents have to deal with this all the time, right? You have a baby, uh, and, uh, and then we set up cameras and motion sensors and we have apps, and there's like a laser grid across the nursery in case somebody wants to come and steal them. Um, and, then, and then what we do is that we, we look at the app, and we break down every movement like a, like a football uh, person on a telestrator. You know, we're like, wait, wait, he rolled over here. He's on his stomach now. That's good. No, wait, that's bad. No, I got to get my book out to know if he flipped over. Is that okay or is that not okay? We, we, we struggle in the middle of the night, right, when they're crying, and we're like, are they hungry? Are they, are they, are they thirsty? Are they, do they just need sleep? Do they have gas? Or are they dying? I'm pretty sure my baby is dying right now because it's crying in the middle of the night. So we're anxious about that. But then when the baby actually sleeps through the entire night, we wake up in the morning panicked going, oh my gosh, like it didn't make any noise. It's got to be dead. Right? Like, I mean, we just stress whether they make noise or whether they don't make noise or whether they, they move or whether they flip or whether they're on their backside. Or the, and all of the surveillance equipment that we have set up has not given us any more peace. Who has slept more soundly because of all of the surveillance equipment you have on your baby? No one. Before cell phones, when someone went to the store and it took a little longer than expected, we just recognize that sometimes lines are longer or traffic takes a little bit. And it took us a long time to get to a place of frenetic anxiety about where our loved ones are. So now we have apps that can literally pinpoint their location within a few feet using a, an array of military satellites. And does that give us peace when our family members are away from the house? No, we just check our phones all the time to find out where they are, and then we text them to make sure everything is okay, and then we worry that when we texted them, if they answered that text when they were driving, now we're concerned again. Do you see, like our own efforts in, in releasing our anxiety 
do not work because the fact of the matter is we do not have control. And anything that we strive for is an illusion of control. And that illusion of control, we know in our hearts is an illusion. And so it makes us even more anxious because we think that if we're not in control, then no one is. The more detailed our plans, the more effort that we try to exert, the more anxious we get because we realize that we're not omniscient and we're not strong enough or wise enough or good enough to control much of anything. And what Paul is telling us here is that we have to be strong, not in our own strength, but in the Lord's might, because he's saying there is someone in control, it's just not you. And so do you trust the one who is in control? That is a fundamental shift in our lives. Do we trust the one who is actually in control? Do you trust that God is in control? And maybe, perhaps an even more convicting question, because it's easy to trust things when they're outside of our control. right? When we know we have no illusion of control, we can go, well, you just got to trust God for that. But I'm talking about the nitty-gritty details of your life. Do you trust him? those. And a more convicting question is, if you do believe he's in control, is he good? Is he good? Is he going to, can you trust him to not only be in charge, but to be good when he is in charge? We're also in a culture that is pushing back against any kind of authority, and we see authority as oppressive, and that starts to turn even into God, of God, okay, great, he's in charge, he's in control, but is God oppressive, or is he good? Is he Are we able to yield to him? And we struggle with this question because we don't know why some of the things happen that happen. Just earlier this week, a friend and fellow priest, Thomas McKenzie, who wrote our book, Anglican Way, that we use in our uh, our classes here, he died in a car wreck along with his eldest daughter. Why? And this, for my family, this was an extremely poignant week because one year ago yesterday, we got in a terrible wreck where someone hit us and flipped us and rolled us over on, uh, on I-40 going 70 miles an hour. And we all got out of the car with scratches. Why? Why did Thomas and his daughter die this week? And my family is still here. And Thomas and I are both priests in God's church. Why? I have a dear friend who's struggling with stage four cancer, and they're waiting for him to die. Why? Another friend who's only a few years older than me just got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Why? Why? Can we trust God? Is his strength mighty enough? And then will he use his strength for the right things? These are questions that we must ask in order to relinquish our control. So I want you to jump down to verse 19. We're going to come back, briefly look at the armor of God in pieces, only in, in but I want you to get these big concepts first. Jump down to verse 19. Paul says this, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here's what I want you to see in this, okay? Paul is telling us to trust in the Lord, find strength in the, in the Lord's might, and he is writing these words while literally in chains, in prison, awaiting what will eventually be his execution. Okay? He's, he's not speaking from a place of privilege. He's not speaking from a place of comfort. 
He's speaking out of his own pain and out of his own struggles, and he's giving us this counsel. And in the midst of all of this, he is not doubting the Lord's ability or his goodness. He is not saying, listen, keep one foot in the church and say that you trust God and have the coffee mug that says, uh, you plan, God laughs, right? And you have that, and you have one foot there. But, but, but for security, keep as much control as you possibly can. The man is chained to a wall, and he's saying, we find strength in the Lord. And we put our trust in Him. He recognizes that we live in a fallen world, that death and sickness and theft and injustice will be present here. And He teaches us in places like Romans chapter 8 that He wrote as well, that we should expect these things, but that we find our great hope as Christians in that the Lord has won victory over Satan's sin and death, and that any sufferings we experience today are not even worth comparing to the glory that we will experience in Christ. Listen, this is a different perspective. Hear me. You cannot trust the Lord to give you everything that you want and to remove all discomfort from your life because he has never promised that. And you're like, no, 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 wait, Dan. No, no. In Psalms, it says that the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. But wait, there's a first part of that verse that says delight in the Lord and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. So the first thing he's going to do is change your desires. And then secondly, he's going to give you that. So when you pray for that Porsche, and God doesn't give it to you, God is not absent or not good. He's actually going to change your heart so that you don't want that Porsche as badly as you want righteousness and holiness and purity, and that you long for God himself, and then he will give you that. He's going to change the desires of your heart. So finding strength in the Lord is understanding what the Lord is promising. He's promising us to help us, He's promising to help us stand firm, to stand against the things that come against us, to be able to bear up underneath them. He's not promising us to remove us from all discomfort. He is promising to be with us in it. And he is promising that it will have meaning and value. And he promises us a community with which to walk through it. But he does not promise that we will not experience the effects of the fallen world that we live in. But this should not lead us to a place then of saying God is untrustworthy, but rather a recognition that we live in a world that has rejected God. That's the story of the scripture, is that the world has rejected God, and we are a part of a world that has rejected God. And so our trust says we want to go against what the world is trusting because the only solution to the suffering and the anxiety and the pain that is in our culture is God. The existence of the things that we are fearful about are not evidence of the absence of God, but are evidence of what it means when we reject God. So God is our only answer. And he has promised, friends, like when we read this book, we have, to ha- we have to have an understanding of the big picture here. That what he has promised is that he is going to make all things new. That what has started at the cross of the, of the redemption of all things will come to fruition when Jesus himself returns to make all things new. And there will be a day 
when there will be no more sickness and there will be no more sin and there will be no more anxiety and there will be no more pain, that day will come here on earth when Jesus returns. And between now and then, we must live into that reality of knowing that God is truly in charge, that the, that the progress of history is moving towards a place of victory for God and the, and the people who believe in Him, and that we stand right now in the middle of the already and the not yet. Already that the victory is won, but still we are experiencing the pains of this difficult world. And what do we do to stand firm in this fallen world? We put on the armor of God. Paul says this, look down at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is our hope that we can stand. Trusting in the Lord is not huddling huddling in fear or passively wallowing or sitting in inactivity. We have to put on, there's an activity, putting on the whole armor of God. And before Paul starts to explain what all the little pieces of the armor are, he says this, you got to recognize that that what you're suiting up for, the armor that you're putting on, having to recognize that that we're going to shift even an understanding of what the problems really are that we have to defend ourselves against. So in verse 12, he says this, put on the armor of God, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look, my anxiety, I'm worried about my teenager getting his driver's permit. And Paul's snorting at me going, you think that's what you have to worry about? How about the cosmic powers of darkness? How about about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places? Like your son getting his driver's permit? Small beans compared to what you could really be worried about. But the good news is that God protects us and is fighting that battle as well. Paul's not discounting the very real struggles of this life. And he's not rolling his eyes at our, at our grief over death or our struggle against a pandemic. Or, um, he's telling us that these things are evidence of a greater enemy. Christians believe that there's one who opposes God and goodness and creation and his people. Satan is real. His minions are real. The introduction of sin into the world ushered systemic problems across the entire cosmos that affect us in our daily lives. And this, if this is the greater context of our struggles, then we need not just behavior management or 10 ways to reduce your anxiety. We need divine weapons to fight a spiritual battle. And so Paul is saying God is outfitting us for this. That we must turn to God for his strength. We must turn to God to put on his armor. And I'm not going to go deeply into each one of these. Let me just do a quick survey of how he names the pieces of the armor of God. In verse 14, fasten on the belt of truth. Truth is an understanding of what is actually real. There's a lot of information coming at you all the time right now. And all of the arguments on Facebook about all of the different things we should do or shouldn't do tell everybody that the other side should just listen to the facts. But no one knows exactly what the facts are. So how do we stand in truth, in the belt of truth? Because our truth comes here. 
Our truth comes in the Word. Our truth comes in sacraments. Our primary understanding of the Word, of the, of the truth of what we are living in in this world, comes from the revealed Word of God. And so we need to first be here and understand truth here. And it will then give us the lens to interpret all of the rest of the information that comes to us. But if we're honest, we spend much more time receiving the information from other places than we do from here, which is actually going to help us understand all that other information. We have to have the truth, the belt of truth that holds it all together wrapped around us. We have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is what guards our heart. What he's saying is here is that when we fight this battle, we do not adopt the weapons of the evil one. Peace and wisdom protect the heart. We don't we, we put on righteousness to fight our battles. We don't look at how the enemy is fighting and fight back in the same way. Like, has that ever worked with you if you're a parent? When one kid does something, you're like, why are you being a jerk? And he's like, well, I'm being a jerk because my brother was a jerk first. Did you go, oh, well, that's okay then. No, you were like, that is still not okay. It doesn't matter what he did. And so why do we fight the battles of this world in the way that the world fights against us? Friends, Here's a great example of this. This should probably be in the forefront of many of our minds. I am ashamed of the Christian witness on social media. I'm ashamed. Because when we, are, when we see the sarcasm and the name-calling and the aggression that is, in, that is pointed at so many different places, we do not respond in kind. We respond with righteousness, with holiness, not with pettiness. That is not the God that we serve. And many of us need to check the weapons that we are using and repent from our public behavior and how we are representing Christ. We don't use the weapons of the world. Our weapons are much greater. And they're weapons of righteousness, of hope, of truth. He says, as for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers used to have these sandals that they wore and they would drive nails through them and bend them at the bottom so that when, when they were standing in muddy places, they could still have, they could still have traction. And this is what Paul is, is alluding to here where he's saying we have to have a firm foundation upon which we stand. And that for us is the gospel of peace. We come, we act we speak publicly, we serve publicly, we make decisions publicly and privately on a foundation of peace. Not anxiety, not anger, not bitterness, but of peace that comes only from the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of the rest, the rage and the fear, that's our own strength. But Christ has won the victory which gives us a confidence to be able to stand in the midst of anything that comes against us. And then he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's faith that allows us to give up control. The difference between belief and faith is trust. James talks about this, that even the demons believe in Jesus. It's more than just belief, it's faith. And the difference is trusting. I've heard an old story, maybe you've heard it before, of, of that there's a guy who has a, um, 
it's supposed to be a true story, but you know how that goes. Um, so so there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's a, a line stretched across Niagara Falls. The guy says to the people, do you believe that I can walk back and forth across on this tightrope? And they go, no, no, I don't think you can. And so he walks back and forth on the tightrope and he comes back and he says, do you believe that I can walk back and forth in this tightrope? And they're like, yeah, we believe that. We saw that. Yes. Yeah. So he walks back and forth on the tightrope. And then he says, do you have faith that I can walk across this? And they go, yeah, yeah, we have faith that you can walk across this and back. And he, so he gets out a wheelbarrow and he says, get in. The difference between belief and faith is where you get in the wheelbarrow. Do we have faith in these things that gives us a true confidence that we actually have not just belief that these things exist or some kind of intellectual knowledge that this is the stuff that the church teaches and that Christians should probably believe, but a true confidence that they are real and these are the things by which we live and act and breathe and find our hope and our peace. That is the faith that we're being called to. The helmet of salvation, he says in verse 17. The wholeness that comes from Christ. Our, uh, our fullness, the, the salvation of our souls, the saving of us. That there is nothing that can kill us because Christ has preserved our soul. So our greatest enemy, death, is not even a threat to us now. That this is how I can look at the death of my friend Thomas McKenzie this week and say, how can I look at this and still believe that God is good because I believe that the table at which Thomas stood so many times giving the bread of life to the people is now the table at which he sits and eats with the Savior that he preached. And it's that faith that should shape all of our lives. A true belief, a true confidence in the faith of what Jesus has said is real. And he finishes like this. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Just pray. pray is, praying is, is a recognition that we don't have the strength to handle all of this. That we need that peace that passes all understanding to guard our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God. Prayer is asking, God, you must intervene because we cannot handle this on our own. He says, in prayer, keep alert. So that that we recognize our own behavior and we recognize where our faith is lacking and where, where we need community and where we need grace and to be alert. One of the things that we do as a family and have ever since our ch children are really small is that any time we see any kind of emergency vehicle, police, firemen, ambulance, anything like that, when you're driving down the road and you see one, we stop as a family and we pray. We pray for the people who are driving. We pray for the, the people who are sick. We pray for the people who are in trouble. And one of the reasons for that is just to constantly be alert that, we, that what is happening, even when an ambulance goes to save somebody, is more than just physical. There's something spiritual happening and that we are a part of fighting that battle, even our family in our car, that we are asking God to intervene in that spiritual place where something physical is happening as well. Prayer keeps you alert. To what is really going on. And he says this to close. With all perseverance pray. This is what we're called to. To persevere. To persevere in the midst of struggles. To persevere. It is okay to stand strong. And it is okay to fall on your knees in weakness. The economy of God is upside down. Where in order to seek peace. You have to relinquish control. In order to find strength. 
you actually need to recognize your weakness. You need to recognize that you cannot handle this individually and that you need a community. That you, cannot, you do not have the strength in your own heart to handle this time, and so we turn to God. I want you to hear these words from Romans chapter 8. Listen to these words in this time. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. And so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These words are the armor of God. Stand firm, friends, in the Lord's might. For His might is greater than any opposition that shall come against us. Breathe deep. Calm down. It is okay to relinquish control. Have peace. The Lord is at hand. Have peace. And suit up. For we need the armor of God. Pray with me. Lord, in the busyness of our lives, in the anxiety of our schedules, so oftentimes we are distracted from the truth of what is, what is laid out so clearly before us in your word. But yes, we live in a fallen and dark world. We live in a world full of conflict. We, we live in a world that is highly anxious right now. Lord, and we need you. We need you to be more than just an intellectual concept in our, hit, in our head or just an emotional feeling that we get on Sunday mornings. We need you to be active in our lives. We need you to peel back our fingers and unclench our fists. Lord, I pray that right now you would help the people of this church, whether online or in person, to breathe out the anxiety. And when they feel so vulnerable, when they feel even in trying to be less anxious, they feel anxious about their anxieties. Lord, attend to us. Give us your peace. Let us be strong in your might. Let us know the quietness of your gospel. And let us know the victory your cross and resurrection. We long for the day, Lord, when you will return to make all things new. And until that day, Lord, help us to turn to you, to your strength, to have faith in you, to endure, to persevere, to be people of peace and righteousness. Come swiftly, Lord Jesus. And protect us until that time.